<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblum maniac. Mike Tricio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Working from home now. Nice. Uh, officially transitioned a little bit last week after the uh, big old nor'easter that hit the hit the northeast. That's what nor'easter means. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got some snow and my boss was like, hey, we got to set you up so you don't have to come to work after we get a foot of snow. Uh, and then he was like, well, you're already set up to work from home. So <laughs> just uh, do that. So yeah. here we are. Feeling nice. pretty good. So that uh, that like two month period where you were taking public transit, that is officially over. You're back at home. Yeah, I still have to go in, I think, about once a week just for like some clerical office bullshit stuff that I have to do. Yeah. Uh, But hey, that's better than commuting five days a week. That is totally fair. Yeah. And as for me, I am uh, chilling for the most part because uh, I'm taking the last two weeks of 2020 off of work. As it happens, you know, I had a lot of days off kind of that I had planned to use throughout the year, you know, and I I kind of sent them around concerts that I was going to be traveling to or like big trips I was going to be taking. And none of those happened. So instead, I worked those days uh, and now I have to like burn off all these days off at once. So basically, I get like two and a half weeks of just nothing happening. Uh, Hell yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Like, I got to say, I'm I'm day four into Vacation Palooza right now. Uh, <laughs> and I have watched five or six movies. Uh, I haven't shaved. I've spent a lot of time in my pajamas. <laughs> That's the dream, man. Uh, doing like some Christmas cookie decorating uh, this past weekend and stuff. We, we've been making the best of it. So, uh, yeah, that's been pretty good. I'm living that. Uh, the Mike Tricio furloughed lifestyle from earlier this, uh, this year. Hell yeah. I'm very <laughs> glad that you brought up uh, concert palooza slash vacation palooza. I was just actually thinking about that like a couple days ago. Uh, uh, yes. Psycho you were. Yeah. So my, Mike is referring to uh, back in 2018, before I moved to Montana, I, I embarked on concert palooza where I went uh, like Monday, th- Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. I went to a different concert every single night and hosted a morning show the next day because the regular hosts were uh, all, like on vacation. So I was do- yeah. so I was waking up at like 430 in the morning every every morning, crashing on like a friend's mattress most nights. Mike was there for two of the five concerts that I went to. Yeah. Uh, we went to what Weezer and the Pixies uh, yep. at Jones Beach and then Beck at Madison Square Garden, both of which were pretty dope. Yeah, uh, I, I thought Guns N' Roses was part of that, but I guess not. I don't remember. No, that was a se- that was a separate concert at, uh, at ah. MSG that we went to. Yeah, which uh, I remember inviting you being like, you're a you're a Guns N' Roses guy, right, Mike? And you're like, I guess like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I got these I free tickets. Song. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was more like I got free tickets to Guns N' Roses. And we're like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a huge like that was an insane thing. And that was like right right as I found out I was moving to uh, Missoula, Montana, uh, or it was like a real possibility. So I was like, OK, I got to get all these in there now. This is like my one last big blowout week in New York. Uh, yeah. And uh, it worked out pretty well. Concert Palooza 2018. That was a good time. One day I hope to go back there uh, to do more concerts like that. But now you have Vacation Palooza 2020. Exactly. Now I have Vacation Palooza, which is very different. Like I said, spending a lot of time in my pajamas and watching a lot of <laughs> movies. Uh, and some of those movies have Jeff Goldblum in them. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> uh, so to discuss the backstory of the movie we're talking about today, we do unfortunately have to talk about some pretty 
lousy stuff surrounding its director. So Victor Salva, probably best known for the movie Jeepers Creepers uh, and its sequels, uh, got his start after directing a short film in the mid 80s that caught the attention of Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola ended up producing Salva's first feature length film, 1989's Clown House. And Clown House was an independent slasher movie about three young brothers being attacked by mental patients dressed as clowns. Uh, one of the brothers was Sam Rockwell, by the way, in his film debut, Whoa. which I, I didn't realize. Uh, the movie actually premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize there. Uh, and this had all the makings of a promising career-starting film. And then it came to light that Victor Salva had been convicted of sexually abusing the film's star, uh, Nathan Forrest Winters. Uh, and he was, you know, underage, and obviously that was... Bad. So the conviction happened during post-production on Clown House, uh, and the movie was essentially buried. It got a small theatrical release in 1990, and all home media releases were removed from distribution are today completely out of print. You can't really wow. easily find that movie. So Salva ended up serving 15 months in prison before being released on parole. Uh, he was released in 92, and a few years later came back with two movies in 1995, a direct-to-video horror movie called The Nature of the Beast, and a theatrically released movie produced by Touchstone Pictures. The one we're talking about today, it is Powder. An unborn child experiences everything that the mother experiences. The neighbors talk about him some kind of a phantom the old folks may have kept him down there like some kind of a family secret what's your name powder i've never seen anything like him test shows that you're a genius you have the most advanced intellect in the history of humankind you took me from my home to a place you know i'll be unhappy wondering if you've done the right thing you read minds too Why you look like that? I mean, you look like some kind of vampire from outer space or something. <laughs> what are you doing? That's a clean kill right to the heart. He just couldn't see what he was doing, so I helped him. He lays his hand on the deer while it's still shaking, and then he touches me at the same time. He took whatever's in that deer, and he put it right into me. It's like I could feel that animal dying. I don't know what it is you do. I'm not even sure I believe you can do it. But if you can, I need your help. She thinks I'm an angel. Come to take her home. With everything we know about science, about the makeup of the human body, what happened in that classroom is impossible. Do you think I'm ugly? I think you're the most beautiful face I've ever seen. From the first moment, I had this feeling that you would change everything I knew. All right, so you may be asking yourself, wait, this guy is a convicted sex offender. How did he continue to find works of filmmaker? And that's a little complex, but the short answer is supposedly people just didn't know. At the time of the conviction, Salvo wasn't a well-known name. Uh, people who pay attention to small 
independent movies the Sundance Film Festival may have heard about it at the time. But a few years had passed. The Internet was in its very early stages. Uh, it's not inconceivable that people just didn't know about it. But that all changed about midway through the production of Powder. Uh, Salva's conviction became known to the public while the movie was being made. Uh, when Nathan Forrest Winters, his victim, came forward and publicly called people to boycott the movie. Uh, so the cast and crew were blindsided. Many were upset because some had brought their families to the production, were understandably pretty uncomfortable, uh, knowing they had been near a child molester. And uh, Disney, who owned Touchstone Pictures, said they only found out about the crime after production of the movie had begun. Although they allowed him to stay on the production. Yeah. And you got to imagine if Powder had been made today in the age where we replaced Kevin Spacey with Christopher Plummer in uh, All the Money in the World and they fired James Gunn from Guardians of the Galaxy over a few bad tweets. Like, I would imagine that Salvo would have been very much forced to leave the project if it were made in the Me Too era. But he didn't. The movie got made as planned. <laughs> and it was actually a pretty decent hit at the box office. Got mixed reviews from critics and the press surrounding it was mostly about Nathan Forrest Winter's protest against the film. And like I said, this was not the end of Salva's career. He was still a few years away from the biggest hit of, of his life, Jeepers Creepers and Jeepers Creepers 2, uh, both kind of back to back. So that's a uh, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not great. Yeah, that's why anyone that says cancel culture is real is a liar, because it's not because this guy was almost canceled, right? He got he was convicted. He was out of movie business for a long time or a few years, at least. Yeah. Uh, and then and then uh, just got to come back because, quote unquote, Disney didn't know. Um, which I find hard to believe. Um, yes. And I mean, like, like I said, like I said, conceivable because this is pre-internet and stuff like that. Like right. it's conceivable, but it is one of those things like you got to imagine there's some kind of background check that you, <laughs> you do before you hire somebody to make your movie. Right. Yeah. Disney was already Disney 20 years ago uh, <laughs> the way they are now. So, yeah. But then uh, he goes on to still have a career. And like you said, I think I don't know if it still is, but I saw on the Wikipedia that Jeepers Creepers and then subsequently Jeepers Creepers 2 had the all-time Labor Day weekend box office records. Yeah. I don't know if they still do. Yeah, but they were huge hits uh, when they were first released and were cult classics to follow. Like, people were really into Jeepers Creepers, which uh, is a movie that I have actually not seen. And it's one that I, you know, had heard about for a while and people were like, oh, you gotta watch Jeepers Creepers. Like, it was a very popular movie, especially, like, when it was in high school and college. Like, people were like, yeah. hey, Jeepers Creepers, one of my favorite horror movies. But I'd never watched it. And then, like, later, I think around the time Jeepers Creepers 3 came out a couple of years ago, which Victor Salva also directed. I think that was like when I first heard the story of Victor Salva as like a sex offender. And I was like, oh, OK, well, I, I feel OK not having seen Jeepers Creepers, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, a podcast. I don't know if I've mentioned it before on here, but it's called Austerian. Uh, where they're going through millennial horror, uh, like they're kind of giving it that like kind of critical reappraisal that they think it deserves. And yeah. their first episode talking about their kind of timeline that like kind of scream is basically the beginning of the era. And I forget what the end is somewhere in 2013. Yeah. But they explicitly said we are not going to cover the Jeepers Creepers movies because the director is like a convicted sex offender pedophile. Uh, and I was like, well, I've never heard that before. I didn't know this guy's name. I didn't know anything. So like uh, up to a couple of months ago, I didn't know anything about this. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it is interesting just like the way people react to Victor Salva is is basically that like that's mostly like every time I hear Victor Salva's name mentioned it's people being like I'm never going to watch a Victor Salva movie because of this reason. But you look at the attitude surrounding filmmakers like Woody Allen or Roman Polanski, which we talked about a bit uh, in our Annie Hall episode. And I think the difference because because a lot of those films are still widely acclaimed and like the critical community still like embraces Annie Hall and. Rosemary's Baby and stuff like that. And I think the difference is, and, you know, those guys very likely did their crimes. They were never convicted. The, right. Victor, Victor Salva actually went to prison. He was in jail <laughs> for yeah. this. Like, it's it's well known, like confirmed by a court that he did this. And yet somehow 
uh, still managed to uh, make movies in Hollywood, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. And it's also, you know, 20 years ago as opposed to 40 years ago. For also sure. that. Yeah, there was a time. Yeah, so thing. it's much more recent in this kind of cultural awareness moment that it's like, hey, we shouldn't give this guy money anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so the thing is, though, we got to cover this movie because Jeff Goldblum is in it. Uh, he appears yes. he appears in powder as Donald Ripley, a science teacher who befriends an extraordinary albino kid with powers of electricity. Uh, that kid is the titular powder, uh, a.k.a. Jeremy Reed. Uh, he's played by Sean Patrick Flannery, uh, who is probably best known for his role in the Boondock Saints. Uh, that's yeah. the other uh, thing he's best known for now. At the time of this movie, he was best known for playing young Indiana Jones on the TV show, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. What? I didn't yeah. know that was a thing. You didn't know that was a show? No, I knew there was the bit in Last Crusade. Oh, but yeah. I didn't know there was a whole show. OK, uh, well, let me illuminate you on something, Mike, because in the early 90s, uh, there was a TV show called The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And there's like 30, 35 episodes, something like that. Each one is like a feature length thing. What? It's like a full on Indiana Jones thing, but it's also like on a TV budget. So it doesn't mm. look as good. And it's Sean Patrick Flannery playing Indiana Jones. So it's not Harrison Ford, but like George Lucas produced it. I think he worked on the scripts for a couple of episodes and stuff like that. Like he was involved with the show. Uh, it was a thing. I've never seen an episode of Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, by the way. I've never actually watched it, even though I love Indiana Jones. Uh, it, and it feels like something like I was thinking about it when I was writing this down. And it's like, I should watch some of that. Maybe Yeah. there is an episode that Harrison Ford is in because they do like, um, you know, they kind of structure it where it's like the beginning and it's like, older Indiana Jones telling the story of one of his adventures. Right. Uh, and it's weird because it's early 90s Harrison Ford, but they put him in old age makeup. And then later they made an actual old Indiana Jones movie <laughs> with <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Amazing. Uh, but in like the young Indiana Jones thing, like Harrison Ford has like an eye patch and he has like the yeah, grizzled beard what? and stuff. Uh, it's pretty wild. Um, but yeah, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, that's what Sean Patrick Flannery was known for. He was young Indy on TV. I used to see like the boxes for that in Blockbuster back in the day. That's like my most and for whatever, like I should have got it. Like that's something I should have yeah. like been like all about. Like, oh man, Indiana Jones, more of that. And I never watched it. I don't know why. It seems like it was right up my alley. <laughs> that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, super weird. Other than that, Lance Henriksen, who also appeared with Goldblum in The Right Stuff, got a Goldblum reunion there. Yes. Uh, he plays Sheriff Doug Barnum, who's trying to understand what's going on with this powder kid. Then you got Mary Steenburgen coming off of movies like uh, Back to the Future Part 3 and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Those are some of her earlier movies that decade, playing Jesse Caldwell, a social worker who's trying to help powder. Bradford Tatum from Stoder comedy The Stoned Age uh, plays John Box, the bully who picks on powder. Susan Tyrell, who uh, Mike and I probably know best for her insane role in Butcher Baker Nightmare Man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad being that being the touchstone for her, for me, because I looked at her Wikipedia page and she has like dozens and dozens and dozens and sure. dozens of credits. Uh, and I'm like, oh, that one weird horror movie. Yeah. I, and it was weird because I didn't because I saw Butcher Baker and I'm a few years ago with you at like a you know horror movie marathon. I uh, haven't really watched it since, but I really loved it. And I remember loving her performance in it. And I didn't recognize her in this movie, but she plays Maxine, who I believe is the nurse looking after the sheriff's wife. Right. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. OK. And uh, I, but I remember seeing her name in the credits and I was like, that name sounds really familiar. Is that Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker? And I looked it up and it was. And I was like, ah, yes, yes. that's great. Uh, so, yeah, she's in this. And then finally, Ray Wise, uh, Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Uh, yes. appears as Dr. Aaron Stripler, who wants to study Powder's strange IQ and abilities. Uh, so Powder was written and directed by Victor Salva, released just a couple of days after his other 1995 film, actually, uh, which was a direct-to-video thing called The Nature of the Beast. And four years before his next film, a thriller called Rites of Passage, starring Dean Stockwell, uh, on a budget of about $9.5 million, it managed to make about $30 million at the box office. 
and Powder was released on October 27th, 1995, open at number two at the box office. Uh, also being released that weekend were the Wes Craven movie Vampire in Brooklyn, starring Eddie Murphy. Uh, yeah. uh, copycat, a psychological thriller starring uh, Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter, and Three Wishes, a fantasy drama starring Patrick Swayze and directed by Martha Coolidge, the director of Valley Girl. Uh, topping the box office that week, though, was Get Shorty in its second week release. <laughs> and also in release were Now and Then, David Fincher's Seven, uh, How to Make an American Quilt, Richard Donner's Assassins, and Gus Van Sands to Die For. So a uh, solid top 10. Solid top 10. Wow. Movie, I would say. I, it's pretty interesting to see that change from, you know, 10 years earlier in 1985. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, just big, you know, Ghostbusters and yeah. uh, Back to the Future, maybe? I Back to the Future, like, Gremlins. Like, there was, there was yeah. a bunch of movies like that. It would be like, you know, top 10. Like, every movie in the top 10 is like an all-time classic. <laughs> Yeah. Basically, when you look at the 80s, uh, because like the bigger movies would just play for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, and then and now we're getting weird Gus Van Zandt movies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Although To Die For, very good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. Uh, and the IMDb plot synopsis for Powder reads, an off the charts genius who is homeschooled and shunned after his last relative dies, shows the unconscious residents of his town about connection awareness and the generosity of the spirit. So, okay that's a weird plot synopsis right there. yeah sure that's a, that's, a, that's a strange one uh so mike what were your thoughts going into powder what were you expecting from the movie obviously this has a lot of baggage being you know written directed by victor salva but what were your overall thoughts on powder going into the movie i didn't really know what to expect at all you had mentioned i think last week that it was a victor salva movie so like i had you know i was aware of that at least but I had never heard of this at all. Uh, and then uh, this past week, I think Sunday, actually yesterday, my friends and I were hanging out in Discord. Like we're all kind of just chilling, doing our own thing. And I mentioned like, oh, yeah, I got to forgot. I got to you know, I can't forget. I got to watch this Goldblum movie tonight. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, oh, what movie? And I was like, Powder. And two of my friends were like, oh, that movie with the albino kid. And I was like, get the <laughs> fuck out. What? And they're like, I didn't know. I don't remember Jeff Goldblum being in that. Oh, hold on. And they like pull up Wikipedia yeah. and they're like, oh, well, yeah, it is that movie. Goldblum's in that. <laughs> and I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, we, I used to watch this movie. Like, I definitely remember it. There's like that one scene with the deer. And I was like, well, I don't know. I've never even heard of this movie. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so they ended up watching it with me. So I was oh, wow. like baffled that two of my friends that this movie has like cultural baggage uh, with right <laughs> like this movie apparently had an impact the most important uh, movie of their lives is powder yeah right <laughs> um so that was that was very interesting and weird because there's a lot of these movies i think in this era where we're like kids me and you at this time yeah that i would have never i've never heard of powder i've never heard of nine months uh, sure you know, stuff like that uh but here we are two of my friends were like familiar enough to remember scenes yeah. <laughs> not just oh that weird movie with the albino kid <laughs> but like they specifically talked about the deer scene uh which we'll get into i'm sure but overall uh powder's fine i guess who gives a shit uh <laughs> you know like it, it was okay it had one of those like it has that quality of just that like mid-90s obsessed with the power of the spirit and community and like evolving technology and like we're going to lose our humanity to Y2K uh, <laughs> kind of <laughs> drama thing that I feel like just kind of a lot of movies in this time period had. And I can't quite name a specific one that had that off the top of my head, but just like that, you just kind of know that feeling I'm talking about that, like semi hallmark, yes. semi lifetime, just kind of like, man, humanity could be great um, kind of story. <laughs> But it's just told through this really weird, like, sort of sci-fi thing. I don't know. It's got the powder is an interesting character. And I think on one level is kind of like is very cool, uh, on, you know, in this movie. But 
I don't know. It just feels very full of itself. And like, it kind of makes sense that it was this almost indie Sundance darling guy that feels like maybe he was robbed of his chance to show his genius. Sure. uh, Getting that chance finally uh, in Victor Silva, which is unfortunate that he got a second chance. But, uh, you know, I feel like that kind of shines through, especially written and directed by. And there's a lot of like philosophizing dialogue between characters and stuff like that of expounding upon the human condition. Uh, So like, I don't know, but I'll never think about this movie again outside of the context of this this podcast. (laughs) This is entering the uh, the Legend of Sleepy Hollow pocket in your brain. Or it's just going to be gone forever. Almost. Yeah, almost. (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. So you're saying it's not going to have the impact on you that it did with your two friends. No, I don't (laughs) think so. I think actually there is a moment that might have an impact on me and i'll save that for when that when we get to the like go through the movie because it was it's pretty astounding okay cool cool cool. uh yeah i will say uh you know i think i may have been sort of interested in this movie and where it was going towards the beginning like as as it started i was like okay there's an interesting premise here and all that stuff but by the end man i was just so ready for this to be over (laughs) it's the last half hour just a big jerk off motion it's such a drag and you know it, it gets progressively worse as it goes on and it was one of those things where i was like you know, there can't be that much left of this movie, is there? And then I check the time and it's like 30 minutes left. And it's like, oh, boy, well, there can't be that much of this movie, is there? And then I check the time. and There's 29 minutes left. And I'm like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it reminded me a lot, actually. Um, and you kind of mentioned like you, you were trying to kind of pinpoint a movie that this kind of sort of felt like for you. It was like Edward Scissorhands to me. This was, you know, you know, it was really the movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I thought of Simon Birch. Did you ever I, see that movie? I've never seen Simon Birch. Okay. It's one of these kind of things. Okay. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. And leave uh, it at that. Jim carries in it for like five minutes at the end. Okay. I think the kid from uh, Jurassic Park actually is like this main supporting. Uh, Joe Mazzello. Is that uh, who yes. you're talking about? Okay. Yeah. Uh, interesting. But yeah, I think, you know, this is sort of like Edward Scissorhands with this, this you know, lonely outsider who's slowly you know turning the people around him into better people and that kind of thing yeah uh the thing about edward scissorhands it's a movie i've never been like crazy about but it is an interesting movie it's got like a really interesting production design and exaggerated characters and these weird tim burtony touches and this feels like edward scissorhands without all that like it's just kind of boring yeah yeah you remove all the like genuine like character quirkiness of tim burton like remember we talked about in the uh, back in way back in cage cast uh, uh, on the legend of Superman dies, or whatever the hell the legend of sleepy. Yeah, dies, Superman. The, the death of Superman lives. What <laughs> happened is the name of that, that movie <laughs> um, where like you see he actually just like lives in like a castle full of monster movie props. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so like you remove all that stuff like that, like like that quirkiness that like is actually Tim Burton's personality and you're left with powder. Yeah, pretty much. It's like Edward Scissorhands. I feel like there's a, a little bit of carry in here, too, in the way that like kind of portrays his powers and like, oh, he's being bullied now they're coming out and stuff like that. Uh, But yeah, it feels like Edward Scissorhands without the interesting stuff in it. And it's just, you know, this very Hollywoodized version of it, I guess. And this is, you know, ostensibly powder is the kind of movie that we should theoretically be making more of. It's a Touchstone Pictures movie, right? It's like a mid-budget drama. Disney basically developed Touchstone Pictures as a way to have more adult-leaning dramas uh, in their film slate. So they're not just putting out, you know, the animated Disney movies every year, which at that point, they kind of just were that. They didn't have Marvel or Star Wars or anything like that. I mean, before you mentioned that Disney then was Disney now. And like it is, but there was a time when like 
who knows what's going to happen with Disney? You know, there was before like the, uh, like in late eighties, early nineties, like before like the Disney Renaissance animation movies really kicked in. Disney was like kind of strapped for cash in like the mid eighties. Like, you know, they, uh, were kind of being competed against by Don Bluth for the animated movies and secret and was coming out. And there was like a lot of other alternatives to Disney. Uh, and so they started to rally together and they had the animated movies, which really made a comeback. And they, started working with Pixar, which worked for them, and they developed Touchstone Pictures. And it, honestly, with the Disney Investors Day thing, which we've, we've talked about a few times on this podcast and on the other podcast, Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, a couple weeks ago when they announced all the big Disney stuff they're releasing over the next couple of years with Star Wars and Marvel and stuff, if they had just announced they're bringing back Touchstone Pictures, I would have been like, this is great. Like, I'm, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I would have been completely on board with whatever nonsense they want to do. Because Touchstone Pictures was that like alternative to Disney. It was like the thing where it's like, oh, these are like actual serious dramas, like meant for adults, like real films and that kind of stuff. The kind of stuff that Disney would use to like develop Oscar bait type movies or whatever. Right. Uh, And Powder was a movie that I think, you know, especially given its release date, October 27th, I could see Disney being like, this could be our chance at an Oscar. Like, this is it right here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely got that vibe. Yeah, it has that vibe. It has the the sweeping orchestral score by Jerry Goldsmith, which is a very nice score. I don't think it fits this movie that well, <laughs> but it's a very nice score. Uh, it it kind of feels like it'd be more at home. It's in like nine months, actually. Uh, you know, similarly, mm-hmm. Hollywood, big studio production, but, you know, kind of on the low and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so I, I think powder is is what it is I, I by the end of it i was just pretty bored and ready for it to be done i think it's a strange movie and it gets points for that but otherwise it's it's whatever man yeah i i like i said i'll probably not really ever think about this a whole lot other than the context uh that i'll talk about i guess when we get to it and it's yeah. not really anything i more just want to brag about something that i called okay. in the movie interesting uh, yeah <laughs> Okay. I just it, it I think it also illustrates that this movie is not really that good. Okay. Fair enough. Uh but we got to talk about Jeff Goldblum in this movie, Mike, uh, who plays Powder's science teacher, Donald Ripley. Uh so what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in Powder, Mike? Oh, he's fucking great. He's he he's so good. Like, he's it's incredible. It's like a totally different movie when he's in this uh, like in a scene. Yeah. And he's got that like that like touching mentor vibe thing that he develops that relationship with with Jeremy slash Powder, uh, which I is weird because like he introduces himself as Powder in the like when he's first shows up, and then nobody ever calls him that except for three times later in the end of the movie. And you're like, did we just forget that we called him Powder till now? Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, Goldblum's great, and I think I think uh, his performance is very fun as this kind of like he's the cool science teacher kind of vibe he's got he's the he's the teacher that sometimes says shit you know yeah. like he's that kind of guy he's the teacher that can wail on the saxophone ski man um, that's right man <laughs> dig on that saxophone ski uh yeah i think goldblum is easily the best thing about this movie and you know i i i feel like i keep saying that in a couple of movies i'm wondering like whether i'm at that point in the podcast where you know we're just like so all in on the person that we're covering we're like they're always the best thing in the movie that we're, that we're <laughs> yeah. talking about which definitely happened with cage a few times right Absolutely. especially by the end where i was like defending movies like trespass and stolen and being like these ones are pretty good like yeah. <laughs> you know like it, it, you get that like stockholm syndrome in, the, in this kind of podcast where you're stuck with this person for a yeah. while so you might as well enjoy them uh but i think he really is the best thing about this movie. Like as soon as he comes in, he's just like instant jolt of energy that this movie really desperately needs both figuratively and literally. Cause he introduces the jolt of energy <laughs> that, that hits power. Incredibly. Um, uh, my only thing is Goldblum's not in enough of it. You know, he's nope. uh, he has that scene where he's introduced, which is great. He kind of like, as soon as the, the shows up and like, he's kind of turned away from the screen as he's like writing something on the chalkboard. And then he turns around and he kind of whispers molecules. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, yes. 
<laughs> we're in hamburger. Uh, so so good. Cheeseburgers. Uh, what does he say in fly in the fly? I forget. What, what were you? What were you say? Uh, when he's like cheeseburgers in the fly. <laughs> yeah, all same energy. It's great. Uh, yep. And so like he has that whole scene where he's teaching the science class, and then there's a few more scenes with Goldblum in them, and he kind of like starts developing, you know, just like a sort of a friendship with Powder. He has the one scene where like about halfway through, where he and Powder like really connect, and he says he wants to be his friend, and then he disappears until the end of the movie. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like he enters the movie in like the second act as like a pretty substantial supporting character. It feels like for 10 minutes uh-huh. uh, and then he's gone until he shows up again in the third act for five minutes. And you're yeah. like, no, give me the give me the good stuff. Where'd right. you go? and, and it's exciting when he shows up. But it's like, again, just not enough Goldblum in this movie. If there's, if there's give me the bloom, man, there's, there's many criticisms I have about powder. But the main thing is. There's not enough Goldblum. <laughs> yes, correct. Well, no, the main thing would be that it shouldn't be, have been allowed to be made by Victor Salva. But the second right, main okay. thing is that there's not enough Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so how do you think this role uh, fits in the roles that we've seen Goldblum play so far, Mike? Uh, there's actually quite a few, which is pretty weird. Yeah. Uh, first off, threshold, there's doctors. Gotta, gotta. Yeah. <laughs> starts with It starts with the Powder's uh, birthday, you know, being born, rushed to the hospital and all that stuff. Sure. Well, Goldblum, uh, so- Goldblum is also a scientist in threshold. Uh, so I think it does have more of a connection than just doctors, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But for another scientist connection, there's life story. Of sure. course. Yeah, Race absolutely. Double helix, whatever that. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's that scene of him, you know, kind of expounding on molecules and teaching us about what the Jacob's Ladder thing is, which felt a lot like that one scene in Between the Lines when he's like talking about like how yes. to uh, t- talk talking to all the girls. And then he's like, OK, who wants my phone number? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then, of course, I mean, he wears a black leather jacket and he philosophizes about the human condition. So Jurassic Park, naturally, obviously. naturally. <laughs> and then uh, here's one I just realized, uh, which technically doesn't connect to Jeff Goldblum, but it connects to uh, Nicolas Cage. And that's knowing. <laughs> and that'll make sense when we talk about the end of this movie. <laughs> OK, fair enough. Uh, I mean, also, Nicolas Cage is like an English teacher in that movie, isn't he? Isn't he? Uh... Well, I think he's actually like a scientist. Te- science oh, yeah, teacher. yeah. Remember, there's a scene where he's like, now let's rap about the sun. And he throws the sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it's students. Liam Hemsworth. It's the, yeah. uh, the Hemsworth, the lesser. Uh, in That's that where movie. it came from. Hemsworth, the lesser. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We should watch Knowing Again. <laughs> Great movie. Colin. Everyone, Producer Colin on. Everyone agrees that knowing is a great movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, I, I'm pretty much right there with you. I, I list up a lot of the same movies like Threshold, uh, Jurassic Park, The Fly. He's also a scientist. Life Story. Right. Uh, really. And the right stuff. Bucker Banzai also in kind of the science fields, too. It feels like Goldblum is always either playing artists or scientists like that. That's the two yeah. things where he gets typecast as the most. And I think that's interesting because those are two very different things. You know, he's somebody who are they really though? So uh, different though, Mike. Uh, I guess that's true. But I, I think I, <laughs> I mean you could say that science is like an art form, man, or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, but tell me about that saxophone ski. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's interesting. Like he's always playing like either the starving artist character, like he did in Framed, or Nine Months, or The Favor of the Watch and the Very Big Fish, or uh, Lush Life, or that kind of thing. Or he's playing like kind of like the nerdy scientist type who's like very charismatic and cool a lot of the time, uh, right. which is interesting. Like those are like two kind of extremes that he's like al- always getting like it's always one or the other, but they're both different kinds of things. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there is some kind of like coming at the like the the uh, human condition from two different directions kind of thing. And that yeah. seems to be interested in that in some way. And like we've talked about before that if he wasn't an actor, he would be a musician. And that's kind of like all in that same sure. neighborhood of those kind of 
focuses. I don't know how you want to, what I'm trying to say specifically, but that like, you know, you're kind of coming at like the humanities or whatever from two different directions. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. All right. So let's run the movie down scene by scene. So it starts off with uh, the Jerry Goldsmith score is like sw- swishing and woo. Like, oh, la, 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 it's powder. And then uh, <laughs> you see this movie where uh, or you, you have this like prologue where this woman is in labor and she's like in the hospital and they're rushing her in and she dies in childbirth. And the doctor is explaining to the father that, uh, well, your, your wife died, uh, but the, and the baby is a little strange. It's different. It's, uh, and he explains that the baby is an albino. Like he has like albino pigmentation in his skin. And uh, the dad's like, I need to see him. And he enters the room and the baby is crying and the brainwave machine is going off. And it's like, Aah! and and the dad's screaming like, it's not my son. And he runs out of there. <laughs> yeah, I was really the way that scene was going, because uh, I also had I didn't know anything about this movie. The way that scene goes, it builds up and like the you see the like brainwave machine thing going crazy and it's drawn like solid black. It's crazy. It's the highest brainwaves ever. And I was like, is this going to be like a scanners thing? Like, are all these people's heads going to explode? Like, what's <laughs> Because it's kind of like the music is swelling, like it kind of is building to this right. like horrific moment, which I mean, I guess it is a horrific moment when the father yells, that's not my son. Sure. But I was expecting a visceral horror. <laughs> See, I was uh, going the opposite and I just assumed it was a sequel to nine months. Uh, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I assumed well, that Robin Williams was going to come out of, <laughs> out of the display room. Uh, and step in a bucket and then fall <laughs> over. <laughs> And that's how the woman died in childbirth. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, obviously this like tragic backstory that happens with like the father and the mother, and then years later, that like, we're cutting to years later now. This uh, this albino kid has grown up, but he's not living with uh, his dad because the dad like just ran out on him in that prologue. He's been living with his grandparents, I guess, and uh, the kid's grandfather died. Uh, and so now he, it's like his last living relative. And so the police are there uh, and they're like just kind of wondering, like, oh, what's going to be done with this kid and all that stuff? And they're all kind of spooked by him. And they bring but they bring Mary Steenburgen over, who's a social worker. Uh, and they go down to the basement where Powder is uh, is sitting and he's like hidden in the darkness. And it's like the focus is obscured. It looks like he's a ghost. Uh, kind you of know, thing. that one that one shot in Halloween <laughs> when Laurie Strode <laughs> is like against the wall and Michael Myers is in the shadow in the closet behind her. Yeah. It's that scene. <laughs> yes. But for like a scared 16 year old kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my uh, one one obvious major criticism for this movie is that it has no idea how to handle anything sensitively. No. Uh, so like there's just a lot of like insensitive language, shall we say, uh, stuff that did not age well. That maybe in 1995 would have been like offensive to certain people, but maybe generally accepted, but is not accepted at all anymore. So yeah. I was just like, Ugh. a lot of a lot of cringing happening for me during this movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so Powder emerges from the darkness like a ghost. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of connecting with Mary Steenburgen and Lance Henriksen. And, you know, he's she's talking to him and, you know, she's like, oh, look at all these books. Have you do you read all these? And, you know, she opens Moby Dick and he's like, oh, I'll tell me the page. Like, give me a page number. And <laughs> She's yeah. like, she says like two thirteen, and then he just recites the page number, and she's like, "You, you know this whole book?" And it's like, "I know all these books." And then the camera show, pans to show us what it was hiding. Yeah, uh, there's like this, you know, shelves and shelves of books. Yes, so so many books. So they get him out of the basement, and as he's like walking, like Mary Steenburgen's going to bring him to like kind of a, a boys' home kind of thing. Mm-hmm. As they're walking, like the sirens of the police cars like just kind of start blaring and going off and exploding. Yeah, <laughs> and the police are like, "Ah, oh, weird." <laughs> Like, strange <laughs> yeah and so they go to the uh 
you know, the uh, the boys home, which, by the way, they drive past a movie theater that's showing uh, Salva's other movie from 1995, The Nature of the Beast. A little Salva Easter egg there for all you Salva heads. Um, Ugh, <laughs> but, if you're a Salva head, don't listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just, that's another, you know, it's that's a, a Columbusism. No, I can't yeah. pretend uh, Chris, oh. Chris Columbus invented that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a, a weird connection to Nine Months, which did the same gag with uh, Chris Columbus, uh, with right. Home Alone 7 being the, the movie that they were showing. Uh, so kind of weird there. But yeah, so Steam Virgin uh, brings powder to a home for boys. They're there. And while they're there, they see like the boat, like the kids playing outside, like playing football. And they're like, oh, they try it. They act tough, but they're super nice. Uh, and then yeah. he gets bullied at lunch. <laughs> Just immediately. <laughs> Just yeah. And, you know, it's it totally makes sense. Like in that situation, there's this like strange, like, you know, this kid who doesn't look normal like the rest of the other kids. And they're trying to like, you know it's a bunch of teenage boys. They're going to bully. Like that's, you know, the, like the natural next step for this movie, there's going to yeah. be somebody bullying powder. And so this, uh, main bully shows up. Who's a uh, name. I forget. I think it's like Jack or John or know, something. Bully guy. Bull- Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Bully, bully Jones. And, <laughs> uh, and he's saying to powder, look, Hey, new guy, you got to wear your spoon. It's initiation or whatever. It's like, so you can either wear it on your nose or shove it up your ass. And, <laughs> Like, <laughs> and they high five. Yeah, no, they, don't. they don't really, but they're one step below that. It's a really lousy movie bully, I will say. Like as, yeah. as far as movie bullies go, there's you know convincing ones, there's bad ones. This is definitely on the on the bad category of yeah of movie bullies. Uh, so Powder takes the spoon and rubs it with his fingers, and it magnetizes it, and it creates, and suddenly all the forks and spoons and knives are flying all over the cafeteria and going straight towards the spoon, and it creates this giant silverware sculpture. And then, like, one little tiny extra spoon just, like, kind of pops up. It starts waddling over the table. Yeah. <laughs> and and wax the sculpture and it all comes down. I mean, yeah, I mean, I thought that was, like, a funny little, like, a cute little touch that, like, look, Powder, like, has some sense of humor sure. uh, a little bit. Like, a personality. But uh, the thing about this movie is that it's two hours long. And there's a <laughs> lot of lingering cuts back and forth and holding on shots that, like, yeah, we could trim this movie down. Uh, yeah. And that whole scene takes so fucking long it takes a little while but i liked that scene it was a pretty solid like you know fun little scene uh and it confirms that powder has weird powers which you know up up to this point like you see him walk past sirens and they explode or whatever but you don't like actually like know what's going on and now it's clear that like he can like harness magneticism and electricity and whatever it can and you know there's more to be explained in that later i will say the explanation for how powder gets his powers is really funny. Um, <laughs> there, there was an explanation. There was a flash. There was a flashback. Did you not? Uh, did you not I, get that? I mean, yeah. But okay, uh, we'll we'll get to that in a, in a bit. Yeah. But so yeah, so that that scene happens. Uh, you cut over to the uh, the sheriff. Turns out he's got a sick wife, Lance Hendrickson, uh, which is sad. She's comatose, and he's got, like distant from his son, and so that's that's a thing. Uh, that's hold on. That scene is fucking hilarious, but awful hilarious because <laughs> okay. it's, they pulls up to his house. And like, you know, there's just kind of this like nondescript man standing on the porch, like, you know, younger than Lance Hendrickson. It's, you know, context clues that it's his son. Yeah. Uh, but he, then he goes, Papa. And then they walk past each other without saying a word. Yeah. And that's it. And me and my friends in voice chat and discord while watching the movie were just like, Papa, can you hear me? Because <laughs> that's really what the vibe is in this moment. Yes, absolutely. And then Lance Hendrickson just like you know, gives him the cold shoulder and walks away because he's Lance Hendrickson. Right. <laughs> Who is great. I mean, I love Lance Hendrickson. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's awesome. He's pretty good in this movie. You know, I, I think most of the cast is pretty solid. Like all the name actors, you know, you got Goldblum, Steenburgen and Lance Hendrickson. They're all pretty solid. 
Uh, yeah, especially Goldblum, who is great. Yeah, there is something though to this movie that was kind of very annoying, ex- uh, except for Goldblum, who's the one character that like sees the thing that happens to to Powder and like immediately understands. Yeah, but everyone else is witnessing him like shatter windows and throw shit around rooms, and they're like, I don't know what's up with this guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Powder is going to school. For the first time, he's, he's going to school and he's wearing contacts now, you know, in in, yes. his, in the past, uh, he couldn't like be outside that long. He always had to be wearing shades because, you know, the sun affected his eyes so much because of his albino pigmentation and all that stuff. He can't do it. And now he's wearing contacts that kind of like shaded out uh, so he can get into school. So he goes to school and that's where you meet Jeff Goldblum for the first time. <laughs> Molecules. Molecules. Uh, it is so, so nice. It's so like he just comes in and it's immediately like, I want to watch a movie about this guy. Like. He's yeah. so great. And so he's teaching the, this class about electricity and he's a call. He calls out powder in the class for a minute, which is a, a dick teacher move to do. But it's it's especially yeah. for a kid who's trying to not be noticed. Uh, it's it's a very uh, kind of annoying thing. But like powder is kind of like looking at this girl and the girl's like looking back at him. And, you know, Copeland's like, oh, look over at Lindsay there. And like, yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's like, see, see now that that's uh, created this. <laughs> this like <laughs> impulses in your eyes. They make created like these molecules and they are the things that did that. And that, and then Goldblum brings out this Jacob's ladder to show how electricity travels. Uh, and then metal stuff in the room starts going pretty crazy. Uh, like powder's pen starts like shaking and then powder starts shaking. Now look here. This is a, uh, a Jacob's ladder. It's a science fair toy and it's, uh, built to show us how electricity travels. Okay. Let me get these uh, shutters. Watch this. Hey, cut it out, cut it out. Oh, look at this. It's blinding, isn't it? Now, who can tell me why electricity travels? Uh, boredom? Yeah, it tickles me. No, no, potential potential one side of this thing is positive while the other side has a strong negative pole and uh that's all the potential that electricity needs to travel that's right that's pretty good don't i bring you good entertaining things but you get the idea that it does you know it, it, it travels and just keeps going did you ever what's your experience with electricity did you ever you know run your feet over a carpet like that and touch somebody what happens Static electricity. That's right. That's right. Now, where does it go when you when you touch somebody? It just goes out. So energy. So so electricity, like energy, uh, just just um, uh, recycles. It flows in a cycle. It doesn't, it doesn't end. It. it um... And then a, a bolt of electricity jumps from the Jacob's ladder and hits powder like square in the chest, and it continues going, and it lifts him into the air. Uh, yes. And everybody in the class is freaking out and Goldblum has no idea what to do. And then he like looks over and Goldblum smashes the Jacob's ladder. He smashes the machine uh, and powder is like unconscious. And uh, when he like touches powder, uh, the hair on his arm stands up uh, and yes. and, and Goldblum like immediately, like you said, he just understands what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think he looks directly down the barrel of the camera, too, which is very strange. Yes. in that moment. Yeah, he's uh, uh, <laughs> this is great. There's a great scene. Where uh, they're at the hospital and uh, Goldblum is there and the sheriff showed up and he's like, I've heard, you know, 20 different stories from 20 different kids. You got to tell me what happened. And Goldblum's like, don't you understand? He is electrolysis. 
Yeah. He, <laughs> like, he can't grow hair. And then he like pauses for a minute and then he says, drink that in. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the greatest line read in this entire movie. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, he's the best of this movie. Um, yeah, and the, he kind of explains later on that like some of Powder's power passed to him or something. And yeah. So he's like, consciousness has been awoken a little bit, so that's why he's able to key in so easily to what's happening. But yeah, it's it's very frustrating because like it seems like okay, like we're on where it's going to be about them harnessing his powers or something like that. But then uh, once Goldblum leaves the movie after this scene, uh, nobody else understands what powder's happening. What's happening to him <laughs> for the rest of the movie? Yeah, it is a uh, kind of a bummer. But uh, they're at the hospital and Powder disappears. He leaves the hospital, shows up at Lindsay's house, the girl from class, and uh, yeah. you know they're uh, you know just kind of hanging out. You know. You know they're 16 years old. They're flirting a little bit. Powder has a solid like, little joke where he's like, well, grandma always said I have an electric personality. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this kid's got jokes. Uh, Powder's got jokes, baby. <laughs> uh, and so they have like that little moment. And then uh, Powder is like trying to leave town. Uh, he's trying to go back home and the, uh, the police stop him. They stop him at the bridge. You know, Sheriff Lance Hendrickson is like, just come back with me, son. And, you know, this was a rough day, but you're going to have better days. It's like uh, and then Powder says something where it's like, it's like, oh, it wasn't as bad as the worst day I could remember. And he's like, oh, what was that? The day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it kind of reminded me of that scene in True Detective in season one when Woody Harrelson's like, I just wanted you to stop saying weird shit, man. Because <laughs> um, that's basically yeah. what happens. You are the Michael Jordan of being a son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, that was a good show. That was... <laughs> What a great one season show that what was. A, what a great one season that never continued after that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so uh, so Powder obviously has some kind of powers and they're starting to understand that a little bit. And then they have this meeting with Ray Wise. And so yes. Ray Wise is there. Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Uh, and he's like a head doctor at the facility. And Goldblum and Mary Steenburgen are in the meeting, too. And they're trying to make sense of the tests that powder has been taking because powder's IQ is off the charts. The most advanced IQ in human history. That's what Ray Wise right. says. And so it's, you know, they want to study him. They want to learn about him. And, you know, there's a scene where, uh, asked like, yeah, so you learned about the world just from books and stuff like that. Like, that's amazing. You never watch TV and powder's like, I can't watch TV. It's like, what? your grandma didn't let you. And then Goldblum turns on the TV in a short circuits. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that scene was interesting, too, because uh, towards the end of that, where that, you know, powder starts to get more and more agitated. And this is the scene where, like, shit starts flickering and stuff's moving around and everyone's yeah. like, wonder what's happening. Um, <laughs> uh, but Powder's like, you're you know, you're here to ask me how I cheated because that's the only like rationalization you can come up with, which I thought, I, I don't know, I thought that uh, that idea was pretty like, because, you know, it kind of starts off sort of friendly with Ray Wise. Where sure. He's like, oh, we want to, like, you know, figure out what's going on. But really, they're trying to, like, get him. And it's, like, kind of confirming everything Powder thought about people. Yeah, kind of. And Powder really just wants to go home. Just wants to go back to his uh, house and uh, see his yeah. books. And uh, the lights and the watches in the room go crazy. And he gets out of there. And that's when you have a flashback to uh, how Powder got the way he uh, became. There's a flashback to uh, his mother while she was pregnant. Uh, and she's like just walking down the street in the middle of a rainstorm, as you do. And she gets struck by light. And so you see the dad freaking out like, oh, my God. And they rush her to the hospital. And that's where the opening scene of the movie happens. Uh, but it happens so suddenly. And it's just like she's walking down like Psh, and like the lightning hits her. Uh, it was funny. It was really funny. <laughs> I, yeah. See, I didn't feel that as a that's how he got his powers. I felt that was more of his mom got struck by lightning because she was pregnant with him. Like because he talks about how the lightning is always attracted to him. 
And like he can't go outside during thunderstorms. And that's why there's all the lightning rods on the house. Okay. So it was more, I took it more of like he killed his mom, quote unquote, like, quote unquote. Like accidentally. But but she got struck by lightning because of him. That is interesting. I I didn't think about that. I I thought it was like the origin story of her walking down (laughs) the street and she got struck by lightning. And (laughs) she yelled Shazam in her womb and she got struck by lightning. (laughs) Uh, but but I think the key thing about this, and I think he's talking to Lance Hamerson again, is that he remembers this. Like he was right, in yeah. the womb, uh, and he's still like, and you know, before he mentions he remembers the day he was born, which you know, it's it's not mm-hmm. that far removed from this. But uh, but yeah, so it's kind of crazy that uh, <laughs> that he remembers this and that whatever happened, whether this was the origin or whether this he, he has just always been able to summon lightning since he was conceived, I guess, like, I guess, like, and, and like, where does that end? You know, like this is, is the egg in his mother's stomach. Like the, has that always attracted lightning? Did the, did the <laughs> sperm <laughs> that his father yeah. had attract lightning? Like how, like logically, what is the end point of that? You know? I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, there you go. So there's that flashback. And then you have the scene with powder in the woods playing with the lizard, you know, as you do, he's uh, hanging out. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little moment where he's like seeing the lizard and like the beauty in the world and stuff. And then the bullies show up. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of how it happens. Like every time the bullies show up, it's like, you know, powder's like just kind of hanging around and then the bullies show up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like the Spanish inquisition in Monty Python. <laughs> no one expects the bullies to show up. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the bullies are in the woods, too. They're kind of like hunting for deer uh, out there. And, uh, you know, they're bullying him again as they do. And they seem like they're going to shoot him like the main bully, bully number John, uh, Bully Jones, <laughs> Bully Jones. Uh, he has a shotgun and it seems like he's about to shoot him. And then you hear a gunshot, but it's not from that shotgun. And it turns out the other cop that was with Lance Henderson this whole time, he was out with these bullies uh, teaching them how to hunt and he shot a deer. And so they go over there and they see and like the other cop sees powder and it's like you don't tell anybody about what you heard here you see boy and just, yeah he's just the most backwoods deputy yeah. you could ever picture skedaddle son uh <laughs> and then uh as the deer is dying on the uh the ground and the other cops explaining to him like oh yeah so you see that the last breaths of this deer are coming, yeah. are coming out of here and you can watch the life slowly drain away from its eyes like it's like it's like it's foghorn leghorn apparently yeah, pretty much <laughs> um but then powder takes his hand and puts his hand on the deer and he's able to transfer the feeling of the deer's pain over to the other cop uh which yeah. i think was an interesting idea and you know one that like is kind of illustrated there and then kind of repeated later where it's like i, I can't shoot a gun anymore i don't know what i'm like i don't know how to do this and all that stuff i can't make something feel that way again like the guy is so overwhelmed by it uh, and he sees like powder, like crying as he's like making you feel the pain and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And it's it's pretty intense. And this, this is the scene that like your friends remembered from this movie. Yeah. One of my friends specifically was like, oh, yeah, the deer scene. I remember that he, he was saying that like this is this movie. That scene specifically traumatized him. And yeah, I mean, it is very intense where he's, you know, because he's also the the cop. This cop is also like the one that like he get when they when they stop powder on the bridge when he's leaving town earlier he gets out of the car like with his nightstick ready like this guy's yeah. ready to just destroy powder so then he's you know explaining to the to the troubled youths which is they explain it later that like the camping trip with these troubled youths was not supposed to be a hunting trip but at this point i was like 
whose idea was it to take a bunch of troubled teen boys <laughs> and go give them guns and go hunting? Like right. what? Uh, but yeah, and he's saying that like, oh, look, it's a clean kill, like right through the heart. This its body's just twitching. It's not conscious anymore. And that's when Powder shows him like, oh, no, look at the immense pain you're causing. And he like lets this cop experience the deer dying uh, kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's visceral and gross and weird and like uh, scary. Like and everyone there, all the other guys and like the other boys start freaking out and they're like, pointing their guns at powder. You think they're going to kill him again and all this stuff. Right. Uh, and eventually, you know, like everyone kind of falls over and that's the end of the scene. But yeah, for, for a second there, it gets really dark and intense. It does. Definitely. So powder just wants to go home. Uh, there's a scene where he's getting upset with Mary Steenburgen and like the clock glass and the windows are getting smashed like, as he leaves. Uh, like, you know, just from the force of his being mad and Mary Steenburgen still kind of like, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Super weird. Uh, and Better then call somebody about that. Yeah. And then there's the another scene with Gob. And I think Goblin's very good in this scene. And this is like the last time you see Goblin until the end of the movie, uh, which is where he kind of enters into like the cafeteria area or wherever where Powder is. And Goblin starts telling Powder about Einstein, Albert Einstein. And uh, Powder's never heard of Einstein because he wasn't in any of the books that were in the basement that uh, right. he had. And how Einstein had a theory about a more evolved human being. Uh, you know, where, you know, you, you go beyond the need for actual physical bodies and you enter into like a realm of consciousness. And he believes that powder is closer than anyone's ever been to Einstein's vision. He is the man of the future. Uh, and he tells powder, I, I want to be your friend. I want to help you out. Uh, and, you know, they have like a little moment of connection. He makes Goldblum's hair stand up, you know, yeah. <laughs> with his little electricity thing. Uh, and that's again the last you see of Goldblum for a while, but he's very good in this in this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's like the one thing where he. And I think this is the scene where he explains that, like when he touched him in the classroom after he got electrocuted, like something happened to me that I understand what's going on, uh, kind of deal. And it's nice, and you know, he like teaches him about shaking hands because his grandparents were never were afraid to touch powder uh, and all that stuff. And that's like a kind of a heartfelt moment. But I just want more Goldblum, man. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I will say, I will point out that uh, this movie has been read as a veiled allegory, as sort of like a defense of Victor Victor Salvo, like for his crimes and like the way I, Goldblum kind of talks about him a little bit in, in this scene. And like, you know, you touched me and then, you know, I became a better person and all that kind of stuff like that. That is has the movie has been read that way. There's a pretty famous uh, interview on the Joe Rogan podcast with a comedian who kind of talks about the movie and be like, man, fuck powder. And like, just talking about yeah. like that, like that aspect of it. Uh, so yeah, I, I did want to throw that in there as just like an aspect of it. It's not something I really picked up on as I was watching the movie. Um, but then afterwards thinking about it, I was like, yeah, it's, it's a little weird. I did get uncomfortable at the end scene, the very end of that scene where he does like shake his hand and stuff. And Powder's like, oh, you don't know, it ever touched me, whatever. And he like puts his head down and then like Goldblum like lovingly caresses his cheek a couple of times yeah. and then the top of his head. And I was like, this has gone beyond the level that I felt like teaching to shake hands was at. Yeah. Uh, for like a 30 seconds longer, like the scene keeps going a little bit and you're like, uh, maybe cut it, uh, cut it before this. Uh, yeah. it definitely. I, yeah, that must have been like just that general uncomfortable feeling I picked up on. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, that was definitely an aspect of it. But again, that's the last time you see Goldblum in this movie until the end. Uh, at this point, the other cops not hunting anymore. He has a scene with Lance Henriksen where he's like, I can't use my gun because I feel the deer's pain and stuff. And then basically Lance Henriksen realizes that powder can like use this power. Like this is a power that powder has. And he brings powder to his house to kind of read his wife. Uh, yeah, well, so before that, there's a scene that sets this up. Okay. Earlier on where, you know, the, the I forget exactly what happened. Lance Henderson isn't home in, in time. 
So Susan Tyrell calls the doctor and the doctor comes over and, you know, we get the kind of scene after that where the doctor is talking to Lance Hendrickson, talking about like how she can't she she can't let go. Like, I think she has cancer or something like that. Yeah, because she can tell that you you won't be able to move on when she does. So she's staying for you. But, you know, if, if you could get inside her head, like you would be able to know. And at that point in the movie, I was like to my friends, like, well, OK, we know what the last half hour of this movie is going to be <laughs> right? Okay. like when the doctor tells you, well, I mean, if you can only hear her thoughts. And then earlier in the movie, <laughs> Powder's like, you ever listen close enough to hear someone's thoughts? Uh, <laughs> you know, it starts to really uh, show itself <laughs> what this yeah. movie is going to start to do. Right. And, th- and so I guess this is the moment that you were talking about before where he's like, this is what I called, uh, I'm guessing. Or is that later? Uh, is that a different thing? Right after this, right after this after the scene where powder talks to uh hendrickson's wife okay interesting uh so yeah well let's talk about that scene for a second so the sheriff uh brings powder to his house to kind of read his wife's mind and uh powder does that and he tells of like an old memory between the two of them and like a story about them as a family and their son uh and i completely blank on all the details because honestly at this point in the movie i'm not paying as much attention as maybe i should be (laughs) Yeah, it's something about they uh, it got it snowed and they had snowball fights and the wife lost her wedding ring. And yes, they found it later on and she wants to wear it again. And it's this kind of like yeah. cathartic moment. He shows she him, won't like. Yeah, he shows him the box with the ring and stuff like that. And yeah. he needs to reconnect with his son before she can pass on. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so he puts the ring on her finger and uh, the son. And so she like kind of passes away at that moment. And then her son, is the son is like outside and he's like, dad and son. And they hug. And uh, Powder watches from the porch as they kind of reconnect. So this is the moment where my friend was like, Mike, I I bet you're not going to guess what the ending is. I was like, hmm. Now, to be fair, he did say this as the camera. So right. This moment, you know, it pans up to show Powder watching from like the porch. Yeah. And then it pans up to the stars. And I was like, "Okay, he's going to turn into light and ascend to heaven. (laughs) And my friend was like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Because that's the end of the movie, which we'll get to in a minute. But he was so mad. <laughs> Man, that, that is a really good guess, though. That's 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 really solid. <laughs> I was just like, what would be the stupidest, like, phil- philosophical, like, oh, the essence of human. Um, right. Like, he is actually this uh, evolved consciousness form. And it's like he's going to turn into stardust and ascend to heaven, which is the end of knowing, which is why I put knowing. Uh, there you go. as my connection. Uh, you say stupidest. However, knowing's a masterpiece, Mike. So I'm throwing well, that okay. out there. Yeah, but this but but powder doesn't have a, a single take plane crash sequence. That's true. So that's one point for knowing zero for power. Zero for powder. Exactly. Uh, I measure most movies by how many single take <laughs> plane crash sequences they have. Uh, and I think it's knowing maybe final destination. <laughs> I did, Maybe I don't, I, I don't think it's a single take, but it does have a plane crash. <laughs> uh, flight, slight, a single take, probably not. Uh, you know what? Probably Knowing not. might be the only one. <laughs> That's right. That's what Scorsese was talking about with cinema. Yes, capital C <laughs> cinema TM. Uh, yep. He's talking about movies like Knowing. Uh, Correct. So yeah, so after this sequence, uh, he's hanging out with Lindsay at the fair, the girl from school, uh, and they're kind of like connecting a little bit. You know, they're young teenagers, and they have sort of an attraction to each other, and. You know, I think she's drawn to him a little bit because he's an outsider and he seems very genuine and all that stuff. And they have this moment where he he like she feels his heartbeat through his fingers like they kind of hold hands and 
all that stuff and you can feel it and stuff. And then they kiss and then her dad gets mad about it. And <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that seems actually really interesting right before the dad obviously interrupts. Yeah. But, uh, like they're feeling she's feeling his pulse through uh, his fingertips. His hands, yeah. But, but she can read his mind also because he starts saying right. like, oh, you, you know, you I forget. They start like saying stuff about each other. But like, it seems like he's giving her his power to read his own mind. And, yeah, I don't know. I was pretty. It's like the, he kind of has. There's never an explanation for what Powder's abilities actually are. And right. It's kind of just like, as we need these things in the plot, they just like, yeah, he can do that. Yeah. Um, which is fine. Right. It's like, it's like, the, uh, was... it's like the Superman rule where Superman's powers are basically limited to anything Superman hasn't done yet. You know, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, but so they kiss her dad gets mad about it. Like he sees them and she's like, oh, what are you doing? Kissing this. You know, kid like this, like, you know, fraternizing, right, fraternizing and, you know, all that stuff. And then so there he's yelling and he's like pushing powder. There's a pretty funny line where he's like, oh, you having a good time with my daughter? And powder's like, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, just, he doesn't know social cues. Right. Was very perfect. That was pretty solid. Uh, so he's getting mad. He's pushing powder around and then Mary Steenburgen like sees them and breaks it up. And then from there, powder goes to the gym at like the boys home or whatever. And uh, he sees a guy in the locker room showering. I kind of linger. So weird. It, it, this is a weird scene. He kind of lingers on him watching the guy showering for like 30 seconds, which is a little strange. Uh, and then the bullies show up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's only strange. Like, obviously, it's not strange that like Powder might not know he's gay. And like, this is the moment sure. when he realizes it. Yeah. But it's only strange in this movie where like it just sort of happens. I don't yeah, know. It, it's it, like it, really it makes no impact on the plot. At all, ever, right? like it, ever, it doesn't yeah. matter at all because you know in twenty minutes powder will ascend to heaven. So it's not like it's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's not like it's you know uh, it's this is like a late in the game thing, and it doesn't like exactly. you know officially say like oh powder might be gay, but it definitely like implies it. You know, and it's just yeah. it's a weird thing. It's very strange. Yeah, if this had been early and the, the if the whole movie had been about that, where like he sort of realizes like wait a second I'm gay and like is the coming of age story about that or something, it would it would feel less strange because it is absolutely just like a kind of sure one last twist out of nowhere to give the bullies an excuse to be mean to him yeah exactly which yeah the bullies show up bully jones is back and uh he's you know yelling about powder and they see that he stared at this guy in the showers so they're calling him gay and using a bunch of slurs and stuff like that uh yeah. and then he reads the bully's mind uh he like reads uh bully jones's mind uh, about his dark past with his abusive stepfather and how like you know, the boys making fun of his hat and it's like, oh, it's like, oh, you had a hat once, but the stepfather yelled at you about it or something. And like, like, yeah, basically that kind of thing. Uh, and they bring him outside. They strip off Powder's clothes. They push him in the mud, you know, all that stuff. And then as that happens, the metal on like the bully's clothes start to like shake. And so like the guy's like necklace starts moving and like the the button on the guy's pants starts like weird like moving and then like you know the guy's earring starts like being pulled out of his face which also oh, i just want to throw out there in the imdb goofs page for powder uh the button on the guy's pants starts moving the buttons on his denim jacket do not uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i didn't I, maybe subconsciously i noticed that but it, it felt very weird for that to be the like hard smash cut close-up uh to this teenage boy's uh pants yeah pants crotch yeah yeah it's like not comfortable. Yeah, Not comfortable with this. Definitely uh, strange considering the, uh, the history of the director. But yeah, so as, yeah. as that like there's a big mud explosion, you know, in the big mud mud pile that uh, powder had been shoved into and the mud explodes. The bullies go flying everywhere. And yeah. and then it starts to rain and bully Jones is unconscious and he might be dead. And uh, powder like stands over or like stands over him and he starts using his powers to shock the bully back to life. 
and the right. other kids are like, you gotta leave him, man. Get out of here. It's, you know, whatever. And then, like, the one kid who was, like, starting to feel bad for powder is like, uh, you know, man, you, you, you can, I gotta get you out of here, man. Like you can, you can run. And then he brings the bully back to life and it's like, okay, now you can get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that kid, uh, you know, is the typical, like, Hey, maybe you should take it easy. Bully Jones. Oh, he's done it a couple times. Um, but that's, that moment is so strange. Cause he's like, I can, I can help you escape. I've done it before. Yes. It's like what? <laughs> What's this guy's backstory? Yeah, who the hell is this dude? How many albino electricity people is he meeting? <laughs> yeah, I want to watch The Great Escape from this place. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so that kid gets powder out of there. He's stowed away on a hay truck and he goes home. He finally makes it back to his old house. But when he gets there, everything is gone. Uh, even all of his books. It's like a little thing where it pans across the room and all the shelves are empty. Uh, yeah. And it's very, very sad. Uh, you know, it sucks, too, before we get further away from that scene with Bully Jones. Uh, sure. Like it redeems him. And that's shitty. <laughs> uh, what does it do to Bully Jones that redeems him? I feel like. Well, I mean, you find out that like he's had this abusive past and that's why he's a bully. And then the moment like when Powder like shocks him and he like wakes up and he like kind of like hold like grabs Powder's hands like before Powder gets up to leave. Yeah. And it's like this kind of moment where like he realizes like I was wrong. I shouldn't have called you all those things and pointed that gun in your face and threw a spoon at your face and beat you up and been, a, been an awful Bully Jones man this whole time. Right. You know, it's like it kind of gives him this tiny redemption moment at the end. I don't think like fully gives him like a full character arc, but like, you know, it goes to an effort to like, look, he's not really that bad. And it's like, actually, uh, I think he's it's terrible. I mean, I, I would say it's less of a redemption for Bully Jones than it is just kind of showing how like transcendent of a figure that powder is that he can change the people in his life around him. OK. Uh, and stuff like that in an Edward Scissorhands kind of way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. OK. Yeah. That's right. I mean, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but all right. So he's at the house. Uh, Mary Steenburgen shows up and she's like, oh, we're, we got to save you. And then Goldblum shows up and he enters the room. He's like, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's another thing that happened a couple times that my friends and I were like laughing at every time it happened. Uh, nobody uses driveways and everyone drives full speed directly at houses in this movie. <laughs> Lance Henriksen does it a couple times. And at yeah. this ass last scene here, uh, where it's just like, Wark! and they like slide on the dirt and run up the porch. And it's like, what's happening? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, this movie's already uh, approaching two hours and it feels pretty slow. We got to get to these places as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> True, true. Uh, but yeah, so Goldblum shows up and Mary Steenburgen is there and they're coming to take Powder away, like bring him to a safe place. Uh, but the cops arrive. Right. And it's Lance Hendrickson and uh, Foghorn Leghorn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they're, you know, talk. They're saying, like, you know, we got to bring him back into the boys home. And, you know, Steenburgen's like, can't you just, you know, turn, turn your head, look the other way. And Goldblum's like, yeah, yeah, turn your head. Just uh, just like that. Like. <laughs> <laughs> demonstrating yeah. how to turn your head which is a fun a fun uh throwback to the the scene in the classroom because that's what he's telling uh powder to do he's like turn your head and look at uh oh yeah at, Lin at Lindsay. and i was like oh it's goldblum i'm happy he's back <laughs> exactly uh and he really is again just the best thing about this movie for however little he's in it he's great and so goldblum actually tosses foghorn leghorn's walkie-talkie into the field right <laughs> um and lance henderson decides like all right we're gonna let you go uh, but the other cops like calling it in. He rushes to the car and he like reaches for like the radio and calls it in. And Powder tells the sheriff that he actually felt his wife like leave into like the the netherworld, the other dimensions. Or... <laughs> the netherworld. The netherworld. <laughs> it's like the opposite of what he says. Okay, too. I guess. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, he says like she's not gone. She's just like become part of the universe. Right. Thing. That that sort of thing. And so he uh, he felt his wife leave. And uh, Goblum has this moment where he's like, you know, in my days, I thought you know technology was. You know, had finally like 
past man, like past humanity. And now I really, now after meeting you, I feel like humanity might surpass technology. <laughs> like, yeah. Oscar, please. Yeah. Victor Silva says. <laughs> uh, didn't get it. Did not get that. Nope, uh, that Oscar this time around. Uh, and so Powder runs into the fields. Like a- after this moment, like <laughs> this is what I just started maniacally laughing when I was like, it's going to happen. <laughs> it's happening right now. And uh, yeah. yeah, so Lance Emerson's like, you got to get going, son, if you want to get out of here. And, you know, Steve Burton's like, we got to go to the car. Come on, Powder. And then Powder turns into the field and he starts running. You know, everybody else is running after him like, Powder, where are you going? And then uh, suddenly he gets struck by lightning. But the, li- and the lightning's still striking him, but he keeps running until eventually he sort of just gets absorbed by it. And uh, there's like a little explosion where it's like, you know, this wave like that knocks everybody out, like every- everybody on their off their feet. And then he's gone. He disappears. He's just suddenly vanished into the ether. And Goldblum, Mary Steenburgen, uh, Sheriff Lance Hendrickson, and Foghorn Leghorn, uh, they, <laughs> they are left staring at where he used to be, uh, taken in by this miracle. And Goldblum's like smiling like, you son of a bitch. You crazy son of a bitch. You did it. Uh, <laughs> you did it. Uh, and then there's, there is this very nice closing shot, too, where it's like kind of the silhouettes of all four of them kind of staring into the, into the sky. And then movie ends. End of movie. <laughs> yeah, so my friend didn't like... So when I caught when I said that, OK, he's going to turn into light and like uh, ascended to heaven. My friend didn't quite react uh, the way I like he didn't like uh, he was kind of like, mm, interesting. Uh-huh. But so like when when he started running into the field and you see like the storm clouds. Yeah, I started really laughing and it was like, I can't I can't believe I'm right. And that was when he like <laughs> like let it he, he broke and it was like, you, like how <laughs> how did you guess this? <laughs> you son of a bitch. It's such a weird left field ending. Uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, but yeah, but that is powder from 1995. Uh, written and directed by Victor Salva. Uh, so final thoughts on the movie, Mike, before we move on to Letterboxd Reviews? Uh, who gives a shit, really? Uh, it's fine. Like, you know, it's not offensive or bad in the way that uh, Beyond Therapy was, where I was, like, actively repulsed by it. Sure. But it's, like, I don't know. It was fun because I was watching it with friends yeah. uh, that, like, had a memory of it and stuff. But if I was watching this alone, I would have just been mad at it. Yeah, I think it's interesting you brought up Beyond Therapy because it, this was coming dangerously close to Beyond Therapy territory for me, where I was like, OK, I, I dislike a lot of this. <laughs> like, yeah, with all the slurs and everything, too. I was like, I can't. Yeah. And especially, I mean, just given the behind the scenes history of Victor Salva, yeah. like it's not a movie I exactly want to support. I did have to rent it on Amazon for three dollars. I felt icky about that. But like, <laughs> yikes. But yeah, so powder, it's a uh, it's whatever, man. It's uh, there's yeah. some interesting ideas for sure. Uh, but I think it's just a more boring version of Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so there you go. That is powder from 1995. And let's move on to some letterbox reviews for the movie. First off, we got a two star review from our friend, the Poetic Critic, which I'm delighted every time that, I, that I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the Poetic Critic like went ahead and started doing poems for uh, like once. Once she realized that we were like reading all of her poems on the, yeah. <laughs> on the air, uh, I think she went ahead and started like actually like writing new poems for these uh, for these movies. Uh, but here's a two star review from the Poetic Critic, which reads creatives try and try sometimes to move an audience, but never press the wave. And here's a film that largely serves to prove that point. Henriksen and Goldblum just save proceedings from completely falling apart. Such sentimental goo, such meta ick for their completest. There is so much heart. Within the dross, now there's a magic trick. Ooh. Yeah. The poems are getting, like, more complex, too, which I appreciate. I love it. <laughs> They're getting really good. Uh, I mean, they were already good, but I'm, the, these last few have been really, really solid. Uh, here's a one-star review from Kyle B., which reads, Pretty sure everyone actually made fun of him because he dressed like he plays trumpet in a ska band. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know... 
I meant to mention the fedora. Yeah. But yeah, that tracks. It's the fedora, <laughs> the sunglasses, kind of like the pinstripe suit he's got going on. He looks like he yeah. should be in the Mighty Buddy Boss Stones. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you Stones fan? <laughs> the Mighty Mighty Boss Stones. Uh, here's a here's a one star review from Colin the Dude, which I think we've used uh, one or two of his reviews in the past uh, on this podcast before. This film is directed by a convicted pedophile, and that's not even why it's horrible and depressing and flat out unbearable. Goldblum deserves better. This is post Jurassic Park pre Independence Day Goldblum, aka sexy leading man Goldblum, and he is absolutely hung out to dry. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, and he's he's not wrong. It's definitely uh, you know we, I wish Goldblum's great. I wish he was in more of the movie. Uh, here's yeah. a one and a half star review from B Peroni, which reads a guy at work said this was his favorite movie. And now I feel like I got to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be really worried if someone told me that they were like a big fan of Pouty. Yeah, that's definitely a strange choice for sure. Uh, and here's a half star review from Amy Searles, which reads this movie is fucked. Pretty sure you wouldn't need to know it was made by a pedophile to know it was made by a pedophile. Careless <laughs> uh, innocence in the body of a young man who can improve your sex life with a single touch. Fuck you. Oh, man, I forgot about that. See that yeah, line. That's like a that quick aside in the movie. movie. But uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a weird one. For Yikes. Sure. Yeah. So that is unfortunate. The good news is Goldblum never worked with Victor Salva ever again, which means we don't have to cover any more of his movies. <laughs> Ooh, thank God. Yeah. So there you go. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Goldblum Pod. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike DeCrescio. Uh, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at jeffgoblumcompleteworks at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at GoBloomPod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, now we're taking a couple of weeks off of the complete works. We're not going to be back next week or the week after that, but you can join us in January. We're getting the three peak Goldblum reunion with Samuel L. Jackson, uh, fathers and sons, Jurassic Park, and now the great white hype. Uh, so I'm looking forward Can't to that. Wait. There's another Goldblum reunion in there too, actually, but I won't spoil that. I'll, I'll wait Ooh. until we get to the episode. Uh, Vincent Chevalier? It better be Vincent Chevalier. It is not Vincent Chevalier. Michael think. Lerner. <laughs> nope, not Michael Lerner either. Damn. Uh, it's not It's not a three-peater. It's not a three-peater oh, or a okay. four-peater. It's a, it's a the first-time Goldblum reunion. That's that's all I'll say. Okay. Could be anybody. Uh, yeah, that's who, a lot of people. Yeah, who has been in a Goldblum movie, I guess. That narrows it down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and you can keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike Might Go to the Movies. This week, we're discussing the entirety of season two of The Mandalorian, which we recorded before this podcast, had a really good conversation there with uh, our friend Mikey Pockets from the podcast Fun Times in Flushing. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be reviewing a Wonder Woman 1984, kind of an all star Mike and Mike episode. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Uh, so thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. Yeah, you remove all the like, uh, like genuine quirkiness that is uh oh my god you just said tim burton there we go tim burton. <laughs> there we go I, okay. one, one of the most well-known uh, directors of the last uh, couple of yeah. decades but yes <laughs> i don't know what just happened <laughs> <laughs> let, let me do that again sure <laughs>